Welcome to Schoolhouse Equity in Education. I am Allison R. Brown, and I am your host. And I am really looking forward to this conversation today about Black girls and Black girls matter. We have a few organizers from Miami, Florida on the line with us today to talk about the wonderful collaborative work that they're doing together there to lift up, to center, to celebrate Black girls, Black girls' experiences in creating the systems and structures that will benefit all of us. I want to welcome Ruth Jeanwell, who is formerly, uh, as of just a few hours ago, a lead organizer with Power U Center for Social Change in Miami. Wakumi Douglas is the executive director of Soul Sisters Leadership, and Loga Meza is a youth community organizer for Soul Sisters Leadership as well. Welcome all of you to Schoolhouse. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Peace, everyone. This is Wakumi Douglas from Soul Sisters Leadership Collective. So, everybody, this is Ruth with the Power Youth Center. Hey, everyone. My name is Logan Meza, and I'm the Youth Community Organizer for Soul Sisters Leadership Collective. Ruth, why don't we start with you? Tell us, what is Power U Center for Social Change, Ruth? Sure. So, Power U is a grassroots organization based in Miami, Florida. Um, been around for the last 15, 16 years now, doing organizing work and building through base building of people who are most marginalized. So um, what that looks like for us is black and brown communities in Miami. And most recently, um, what we call black youth who are um, really being attacked and um, pushed out by school discipline. And what we attempt to do is to create alternatives instead of students being suspended and pushed out of school that we utilize restorative justice circle keeping as a method, as an alternative to eradicate the school to prison pipeline. Will you tell people what restorative justice circle keeping is, Ruth? Sure. Restorative justice circle keeping is basically a method of us literally community sitting together and basically addressing community building, healing, harms, anything that comes in circle. The reality is, is that when we utilize it in schools, what we're trying to attempt is that a lot of times students literally coming from trauma-informed communities, meaning that there's a lot of trauma that students are holding in their communities. And then when they come to schools, they're treated and they're criminalized for their trauma. Mm -hmm. And so what we attempt to do with restorative justice is that we'd like for folks to, instead of getting criminalized for, let's say, um, fighting or talking back or being defiant, as administrators like to say, that we ask students to really literally sit in circles and talk about the harm, talk about the problem. And once we get to the bottom of it, that it really helps us to get to the root cause of the problem. If there's a harm, that instead of students getting criminalized and pushed out, that students themselves will be able to create a space for healing and to address the problem themselves. Thank you, Ruth. Thank you. Wakumi, what is Soul Sisters Leadership Collective? Soul Sisters, and first let me say it's really great um, to be on this podcast with everyone and to be talking about these really critical issues. Soul Sisters Leadership Collective is a young women's leadership program. We focus on four pillars, leadership, social justice, healing, and the arts. 
And we are really interested in supporting the leadership of our most marginalized young women. Our definition of young women and girls includes trans and gender nonconforming girls and youth. Mm -hmm. And we're focused on girls who have struggled with truancy, who are justice involved, who have struggled with mental health issues, who have struggled with homelessness and foster care. So we're really focused on girls who are most marginalized and pushed out of their schools and communities. Mm -hmm. And it's our firm belief that when we center our most marginalized girls, that we all can get free, that we all get liberated, that we need critically the innovation um, and the leadership from our girls on the margin. Wakumi, how does Soul Sisters work with schools? We go to where the girls are. Mm -hmm. So we have an administrative office, but our programming with young people takes place in schools and in community centers, homeless shelters, alternative to incarceration programs, detention centers. So we go to where the girls are. Mm -hmm. And so we intersect with schools because we have programs for young women. Most of the girls, these are girls who have struggled with truancy, behavior issues, and have low test scores at schools. So we're in schools in New York City. As I forgot to mention, our programming takes place in New York City and in Miami, um, Dade County, and Broward County. And Logan, you know, Wakumi described the ways in which leadership of the girls that you all work with and serve is so critical. And you all live that in the, the organizational structure. Will you talk, Logan, about how the leadership of young people and the girls that you all work with is centered in your work? Well, the driving force behind Soul Sisters has always been the youth. When Soul Sisters branched to Miami, all we had was Wakumi and we had the Youth Leaders Board, uh, which is like the leadership program, which is a paid opportunity for youth to essentially have experience when it comes to community organizing. And that's uh, where I started off. Like, Soul Sisters wouldn't be where we are without the youth. The youth, we designed the logo. When it comes to very important decision-making, the youth are a part of that. And when it comes to the youth that are in our programs, for example, the youth at Hive Prep, which is the public charter school that we're at, mm -hmm. they decided that they wanted to learn about, like, fashion with a focus on sustainability. So, like, how fashion is, like, the number two polluting industry, how it's harmful for the environment, and how can you indulge in fashion without wrecking the environment? Like, mm -hmm. what's a better option? And they said they wanted to learn that. So we built an entire curriculum around what they wanted to learn. Because once you give young people, like, agency over, like, themselves and what they want to learn and you encourage them to make their own decisions, it's like they blossom into such amazing, strong young people. Mm -hmm. And it's really great. So really, young people in any program, whether it's for a treatment program or if it's kind of like an after-school thing or if it's even the youth leaders board, young people have always been the driving force behind Soul Sisters. And you all have worked together to form the Miami Black Girls Matter Coalition. Wakumi, what is that and what are you hoping to do with that coalition? Yeah, the Miami... Black Lives Matter Coalition, first of all, is just completely dope. It's a group of really powerful Black young women and girls and Black femme-identified people who are gender non-conforming. And it's made up of four organizations, and it's also 
bigger than the organization, mm-hmm. but it's made up of primarily four organizations. Power Youth Center for Social Change, Dream Defenders, the Miami Workers Center, and Bull Sisters Leadership Collective. Mm-hmm. Although we really came together after we worked with the African American Policy Forum who put out the Black Girls Matter report about Black Girls in School Pushout, they were doing in 2015 a series of town halls all across the country. And we had one in Miami Dade County. It was very, very well attended. Hundreds of people came um, to hear mm-hmm. young women tell their stories about the ways in which they're really attacked for being black girls mm-hmm. in their schools and their communities on the streets. And they came to hear, and the forum was incredibly powerful. And then after the forum, these four organizations got together and were like, what are we going to do now? <laughs> you know, what next? The girls told us, they basically gave us a mandate by sharing the challenges they're facing in their communities. They gave us a mandate and we're like, look, something has to happen about this. We're facing sexual harassment in schools. We're facing bullying, um, not just youth, but also from school safety around our sexual identities. Um, we're facing push-out in schools at higher rates than white girls and Latina girls. We're facing homelessness. We're facing sex trafficking. We're facing a lot. And so in sharing their stories, they gave the community and community leaders a mandate to do something about it. And our firm belief um, as adults was that the process needs to really be intergenerational. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had a vision to have listening sessions all across the county, Miami Dade County, uh, with black girls to listen more about what are the issues they're facing. And then we wanted to have those listening sessions culminate in a leadership summit. Mm-hmm. So that was the sort of first set of activities of the coalition. And so we had that vision and we set out to make it happen and we made it happen. And we did three workshop series across the county in North Dade, in Central Dade, and in Homestead. We had one circle. We had three circles in each of the other locations. Um, and then we had a Black Girls Matter Leadership Summit that took place on May 18th, just a couple weeks ago, where the young people shared um, the art that they had created in the workshop series, which was very powerful, a dance, and a really powerful theatrical piece. And they shared their stories, as well as their list of demands, which are essentially policy recommendations mm-hmm. for folks in the community to really begin to mobilize um, and galvanize support around. And so the work of the coalition now is to figure out what next. Now we have these demands and policy recommendations that were created by Black girls in collaboration with the adult leaders who they worked with from the four organizations. And now what do we do? And so mm-hmm. we're in the process of engaging in some strategic thinking with the organizations that are a part of the coalition, as well as the girls who participated in the work. And there were about, I mean, we'd reached out to, and Ruth and Logan, maybe you can help me with the numbers. I want to say we have in our registration table over 100 girls who demonstrated interest in being part of the process. Mm-hmm. We had probably two-thirds of that number who actually touched, who we touched, who came to at least one circle. Mm-hmm. And then between 30 and 35 girls completed the process by attending a leadership summit. And so right now we're really focused on continuing to build the leadership of those girls, continuing to base build, which is the expertise of Power You and Dream Defenders. Uh, so the continuing to build our base of black girls who get engaged um, and continue to use their leadership to 
help us to grow the work here mm-hmm. and get our demands met and get these policy recommendations implemented in the varying systems that are right now harming our goals. I feel like that was a long answer. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, don't apologize. That was wonderful. So, Ruth, these four organizations that are working together, Power You, Dream Defenders, Miami Worker Center, and Soul Sisters Leadership Collective, why was it important that you all collaborate? And how have systems responded to that collective power of the Miami Black Girls Matter Coalition? I think this is something that was natural for us because I think, especially under the current administration and what we're seeing um, nationally and locally, you know, is that Black youth are really under attack. Um, There's a war on Black youth, and the way that we can kind of address it is by coming together. And Mm -hmm. so these four organizations came together because we all, um, I think, internally have different strategies of how we seek and want change, you know, but I think what was important was that we knew that um, in order for us to um, kind of win and build a policy platform that made sense was that we needed all hands on deck, mm-hmm. um, which included other groups. Honestly, there was probably like maybe like 10 to 15 other organizations who were involved in actually having the platform and the girls and just the programming of everything to really lay out pretty well because a lot of the other organizations were service provision groups where they provide mentorship or they do direct service work, whereas these four organizations were really understanding that in order to change um, systems that we have to get back to basics, Mm -hmm. right? Like We have to organize, we have to build relationships, we have to strengthen trust amongst these four organizations because we're really all four organizations have been leading incredible organizing in Miami. And this was an opportunity to come together, to bring other service organizations together and to say, hey, this is what we want and we have to come together in order to do this. Mm-hmm. It's been an incredible experience, you know. It's been fun. It's, this is like actually what happens when we bring Black women and Black girls in a space together mm-hmm. is that we see magic and healing even for our own selves and our own in our own families. Logan, you know, one of the four pillars that Wakumi shared with us of Soul Sisters' work is healing. And there's a wonderful video on Soul Sisters' website that uh, if you're listening, you must, must go watch this video of the work that you all do. And there's a young woman in this video who says, you know, it's, it's really impactful to know that you are the center of attention. It's very hard for women to be heard nowadays. So for you to be accepted into an organization where you are the center of attention, like, hello, there's no guys here, so you don't have to worry (laughs) about it. I'm being heard and I'm going to impact change. So that concept of healing and, you know, emotional justice as a right, which I think is so powerful, How does that factor into the work that you do as an organizer and to the work of the Black Girls Matter Coalition? Well, I mean, before you really can do any work, like, you have to heal, really. Like, Mm -hmm. healing comes first before you can even begin to extend yourself to working against the systems that be or a system, whatever your target is. And for the Black Girls Matter circles, 
healing was a very important part of it because oftentimes what happens is that when young people, particularly queer, trans, and, like, non-binary folks, when they go through, like, traumatic stuff, you know, like, having a security officer, like, say really homophobic, transphobic slurs, or, you know, anything like that, oftentimes what happens is that we sit with it. Mm-hmm. And it festers, and it grows, and however it comes out is however it comes out. Some people get really, really jaded. Other people, you know, quote, act out and become, you know, quote, a problem child. So how the trauma manifests in our body, it really isn't healthy. Mm-hmm. And they really needed an opportunity to really talk about the ways that they were being harmed mm-hmm. in school by people who are supposed to be there to protect them, which is why in the Black Girls Matter like model, this is why we have the circle first. So that way it's like, okay, here's what's going on. Like, this is my story. This is what I have experienced. And it also builds community and unity because you also realize, you know, hey, I'm not the only person that's going through this. Mm-hmm. So when the healing comes first, then we can move forward with the education and we can move forward with the action. But I mean, you really have to focus on the well-being before you can do anything else. And I think that's what like the youth really, really enjoyed uh, for Black Girls Matter because they were able to really just speak really unfiltered and really unhinged and just they wanted to cry, they could cry. If they mm-hmm. wanted to get angry and shout and point, they could do that. Like they had complete freedom to feel however they wanted to feel in its most authentic form. Mm-hmm. So healing is a really, really, really vital, important like part to like everything that we do. I'll tell you, I nearly shouted when I was watching the video and to see and hear about emotional justice. It is not a privilege, it is a right. And that, to me, is the critical cornerstone of organizing and, you know, organizing work to, of course, build systems change, but also to first build the leadership of community, community members, to really make sure that in the work that you're doing, you're you're building self-confidence and you're affirming girls and their identity and all of who they are. And then, you know, they are mobilizing to push systems and to force systems to respect their rights to emotional justice that, you know, I think that as a a cycle of organizing is very, very powerful. Um, so I really appreciated that. Ruth, I want to ask you about the reproductive justice work. So, you know, justice is, is often kind of segmented into various, you know, um, different silos. And the work that Power U has been doing to really weave in reproductive justice work to the economic justice work, the environmental justice work, racial justice work that you all have been doing, and also to focus on schools, has really materialized in a beautiful way. So will you talk about reproductive justice and how that factors into education and education justice? Yes, absolutely. I'm like, this is what gets me really excited is like all of the work that we do, if we look at it with utilizing a reproductive justice framework, then it's going to actually set multiple generations free all at the same time. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I share that is even from my own personal experience as being a Black, Haitian, first-generation mother, you know, who mm-hmm. had a daughter who went to a, a public education system, right? That like, I remember... 
I went to a sister center convening. Reproductive justice is coined by Black women and Indigenous folks a long time ago under a sister song. And I went to the sister song convening. There was a free Marissa Alexander kind of campaign happening. And I remember going there and I asked, I said, under this reproductive justice framework, I know that there's a human rights perspective. How does education justice fit into that? And I remember folks being really curious. It was like, well, of course, it's an education justice platform. We want to make sure that's in reproductive justice, but there was no group utilizing that framework in that space. Mm-hmm. And then a couple of months after that, I went to a, um Alliance for Education Justice meeting, AEGA convening. And even in that space, I was like, well, how come we're not talking about reproductive justice here? Mm-hmm. We're not talking about comprehensive sex ed. Um, we're not talking about reproductive health and um, encompassing economic justice as part of that. And so folks were really curious in that space, too. And I was like, mm-hmm. wow, like, it was interesting to see that even in both spaces, people were like, of course, education, um, free education is a human right. Everybody should have adequate, free, healthy education. And in that respect, it was folks who were just beginning to have those conversations. Mm-hmm. Because our work is so silent, I think sometimes that we stay like that and we get stuck. Um, but I think what we've been able to do at Power U, I think it's particularly because we organize young parents, we've organized older folks. Right now we're organizing youth of color and also midwives and birth workers. Mm-hmm. Um, so it becomes a natural part of every kind of conversation that we had mm-hmm. because the framework and the movement itself is really grappling with three areas, right? So the right to have a child and not have a child, the right to raise your child in a safe and healthy communities, and the right to basically, if you choose to have a child, to have that child literally be born in a healthy environment. So those are kind of like the three kind of like pillars of the reproductive justice framework. Um, And I think what stuck to us at Power U was that all children have the right to be raised in safe and healthy environments. Mm -hmm. And what was happening and what is happening in schools um, is not safe. Um, Students are under attack. um, And a matter of fact, there was a young person at the leadership summit of Power Youth who, right before she, they were in a panel, Soul Sisters, Dream Offenders, Black Girls from the Community, they were in a circle panel, and there was a principal who stood up and said, well, I'm a former principal, and I think the problem is that Black girls have too much attitude, and that they come into the room, and they're being defiant, and literally, it was like, we had just sat there at least for an hour listening to Black girl stories, listening to them talk, listening to them express, utilizing art mediums, dancing, mm-hmm. poetry, painting, literally. And this principal still asked this. Mm-hmm. And then the young person, the first thing that she said, her name is Rachel, she was like, listen, we just want to be seen. Mm-hmm. That was the first thing that she said. And you could feel the room kind of like shift. Mm -hmm. And everybody started clapping and screaming because they were literally like, that is the realest thing that you could see. Literally like, here's a spirit who just wants to be seen. And I think um, when we utilize the reproductive Mm -hmm. justice framework, it's that young people deserve to be raised in safe and healthy school environments, communities. They should not be attacked by the police when mm-hmm. they go to school, not by security officers. And in fact, we should invest in programming like restorative justice, like counselors, like anything that'll just 
invest in them and their leadership, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. instead of penalizing them and criminalizing them and making them seem as if when they come to the school, they just have attitude instead of like looking at the underlying conditions that these young folks are living in. Yes. Who knows, like that young person may or may not have eaten before they got to school, mm-hmm. you know, or they may have had to deal with the death in the family. And so I think when we utilize the reproductive justice framework, it's really like Monica Simpson, what Sister Central say, it's not a framework, it's a movement, you mm-hmm, know. Mm-hmm. Um, once we're able to see that the work that we're doing is part of a reproductive justice movement, then we'll be able to reach not just the young people, we'll be able to reach the parents, and we'll be able to reach those young parents who are now raising children in these education systems. That is tremendous. And this is a conversation that Wakumi will be facilitating next week with the Grantmakers for Girls of Color, which is a group of foundations and donors who've come together to support girls of color. Many of them are driving resources into their own local places in order to build young women's initiatives and to support work happening with and for girls of color in their communities. So I'm wondering, Logan, if you had a room full of funders in front of you who have stated a committed interest in supporting the needs and the interest and the gaps in systems and structures for women and girls of color, what would you say to them? First, it's really important to like listen to the group who's affected, right? I recently went to a conference that was, you know, like an all about girls conference. And there was like three girls in the room. Like I was the oldest youth in the room and I was 19. There was like two other people that were younger than me. Mm-hmm. And this is an all about girls conference. Like you can't have a conversation about girls without girls at the table. Same as you can't have a conversation about like, trans folks when trans folk are not at the table. So it's like listening to the affected group is the most important part because we can sit up here and we can spot out facts and statistics all day. But if you really want to get to the root of the problem, you have to listen to the young people. And I would also say like, look at ways to help fund healing processes, right? So like, Looking at funding more restorative justice processes, looking at what it would look like to invest in like school social workers and like divest from police. Like, how do we promote a safe environment? Um, and you know, everything's all about money. So, like, when there is more funding for these options, then these options become more available and more accessible to youth. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, what I would really say is just listening to the youth and investing in what they really need. And if that is more school counselors, which was said during the Black Girls Matter, like I think the the exact phrase was like school counselors who actually have time to counsel. Mm -hmm. If that is that, then that's what needs to happen. It's all really about listening to the needs of the young people and investing in creating accessible options for them to heal. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, Logan, can you add to that what you shared at the conference you just referenced about paying youth? Yeah, I know personally an issue that I've run into a lot when it comes to like organizing is, to be quite frank, exposure doesn't pay the bills. Yeah. And a lot of young people are, you know, not in the best financial standing. So it's like, 
it's really, really important to pay young people so that they can see that their work actually has value. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a really, really important thing. Because you can't facilitate and expect a youth to, like, talk on panels and, like, go on public television where, like, you have to state your name and your address and talk about how they're trans or, like, non-binary or queer or whatever category they fall into that works against them, like, and just give them a certificate of, like, completion. Oh, my God. Yay, you spoke on, like, WLRN. Mm. Here's a piece of paper, like. What's this piece of paper going to do for me? I got the experience, which is great because experience is very valuable. Mm -hmm. But we also have to invest in our young people. Like if we want the movement to keep going, we have to invest in the young people. We have to invest our time. We have to invest our money. We have to invest experiences in the young people because once we get old enough and we're like, all right, time to retire. If there's no one left or if there's no one who is stepping up, to fill those movement spots and the movement dies. So it's really, really important to invest in young people monetarily, time-wise, like really just investing in young people is really important. Thank you so much, Logan. Logan just gave us, I think, a wonderful acronym. So LIP, L-I-P, listen to young people, invest in things that work, and pay young people for the work that they're doing. Thank you for that, Logan. And thank you all so much for being on this show. I have just a tremendous amount of love and respect and admiration and really just gratitude for all that you do every single day in your work. So thank you for that. And thank you for being on Schoolhouse with me today. Uh, Wakumi Douglas is the executive director of Soul Sisters Leadership Collective, Wakumi, if folks want more information about you and Soul Sisters, how can they find you online? Um, you can find us online at lead, L-E-A-D, Soul Sisters, for Instagram and Twitter. We're on Facebook at Soul Sisters Leadership Collective, and our website is www.soulsistersleadership.org. And Logan Meza is a youth community organizer, also with Soul Sisters Leadership Collective, Logan, if folks want to find you online, how can they do that? Finding me online, I mean, my email, I think all of our emails actually are all posted on the Soul Sisters website. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if there's any questions or any wants to collaborate, um, you can just go right to our family page and our emails are right there and accessible. So, we're available. And Ruth Jeanwell is the former lead organizer with Power You Center for Social Change. Ruth, if folks want to reach you, how can they do that? I can be found on Twitter at babyruth underscore L-U-V and on Facebook by my name. Power You will always be family for me. So although um, I'm not going to be currently working there as staff, um, I hope to continue to do work with them and they can be found at Power You 305. And then the overall coalition, we have a website, we have Instagram, we have Facebook, and so you can find the the Black Girls Coalition. So Black Girls Matter can be found on blackgirlsmia.org. And then the hashtag that we have is Black Girls MIA or Black Girls Matter. And the young folks came out with the Black Girls MIA because it could mean, of course, that's like the standing point for Miami, but also that in a lot of the conversations that we're having, 
around the Florida prison pipeline, it seems that black girls are oftentimes missing in action. Mm -hmm. And that's where the MIA came in. So, just wanted to uplift those. It is our duty to fight. It is our duty to win. We must love and protect each other. We have nothing to lose. Thank you all so much again. And thanks to everyone for listening. Remember, you can follow me at Allison R. Brown on Twitter and sign up for the Communities for Just Schools Fund newsletter at cjsfund.org. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful week.